I'm going to ask uh, Rebecca Hauser to come up. If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to John chapter 2? So we'll be reading in both John 2 and John 3 today. John 2, and she'll begin reading in verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? I had Rebecca read the first, or actually the last verses of John chapter 2, because they show us something that we're very familiar with these days, and that is like, the concept of someone gaining popularity really, really quickly. We would call it whether it's a video or a picture or a person uh, when they have gone from relative obscurity to instant fame. They've gone viral. Everybody knows who they are, knows what something about them. And Jesus has these instances in his ministry where it seems like instantly a lot of people know and are paying attention to him. And that's what happens in verse 23, the setting of what we're going to look at today. It says, in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. So when we read that, many people believe in Jesus. There's something about that that sounds actually, sounds really, really good. People are seeing things and asking questions and recognizing some good things about who Jesus is. And and at one level, all that seems great. Lots of people want to be on Jesus's team, there are these initial signs of faith. And, and we always are encouraged when people are talking about trusting and hoping and desiring and showing affection toward Jesus. So that always seems like a good thing. We would never say like, well, yeah, people shouldn't be doing that. We always think, oh, of course they should. So there are these initial signs of belief, and we might be encouraged by those, much like I'm encouraged when people who've never been to church or never really explored Christianity come to Ogletown and, and begin to ask questions. It's, it's an encouraging sign. It's the right direction. And yet the question might be, especially in light of what Rebecca read, is it enough to like, take those initial steps and show those initial signs? Is that going to be enough to be impressed by Jesus, to be impressed by what you've heard he's done, which you kind of understand him to be doing now. What's interesting about the end of John 2 is the answer to, is that enough, is no, it's not. That there's something else that needs to happen. And we know it's not enough because of the way Jesus, Jesus responds. It says in verse 24, Jesus on his part didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in them. He knew all people and, and he didn't need, a, need anybody to bear witness about man because he knew what was 
in man. Jesus knows something about the heart. So it just strikes me as people are interested in Jesus, they're, says they're actually even believing in his name. Jesus knows, because he tells stories about this later, that there are going to be some that show initial signs of growth and progress. But ultimately, their faith never materializes. There are going to be people, he'll mention this in John 8, that start off following him, but then for a host of reasons decide they're not going to continue. This is the way it's going to work. Jesus has already told us that this is the way it's going to happen. And so a question we begin to ask is, if that is the case, then what does it take to have like real faith that's actually going to last? Authentic faith that's going to go more than just like an initial, initial faith sprouting up, but actually have some long-term faith. And for that, we're, we're going to have to ask some questions. And I think they're, they're fair questions. And that is like, what, what do I really believe about Jesus? They believed in his name when they saw the signs was there something else they needed to believe? What, what, do, what do I understand? Is Jesus telling the truth about who he is? Does he have credibility and authority? Does he know what he's talking about? It's not enough to get off to a good start. And it's, it's as if we have kind of a case study in chapter 3 of what it means to show initial signs of faith, but there needing to be something more than just an initial sign of faith. It says in John 3, 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We hear Pharisees, and I think we're kind of programmed if you've been around church for a while, or maybe you just even know the terminology, someone's a Pharisee. We always think that's a bad thing. Like, we always have a negative connotation. Oh, that person's just acting like a Pharisee. And yet in their time, when, when they understood Nicodemus to be a member of the Pharisees, they would assume this is one of the most religious, spiritually minded people that they knew. One of the most serious people that, like serious about things of God that, that they might even know. One of the most moral people that they would know. And so Nicodemus is a member of the Pharisees, but also he's a leader, he's a ruler of the Jews. It's almost, could it be even a social step down for this leader of the Jews to pay attention to Jesus? It, we, we get that kind of impression by the description of Nicodemus. This man says he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus comes at night. Now, if you read the verses, it doesn't tell you why he came at night. So that's a place where like, People for 2,000 years have loved to speculate. So like those people that are pretty positive toward Nicodemus would say he's coming at night because he wants private time with Jesus where he has like extended time to ask his questions and get those answered. But then there's always this cynical bunch, right? They go, ah, he's coming at night because he's a coward. He doesn't want anybody to know. And so he's kind of just coming in under the radar. Nobody sees him. And then he can get out and ask his questions because he's too embarrassed to be seen with Jesus. And frankly, scripture doesn't say. We do know that John often talks about night and day and darkness and light. And so I think there may be, that may be a reason why this is included here. But we don't know why. What we do know is Jesus is drawing followers. And one of those people interested is Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him and he, he indicates that he believes Jesus is a teacher that has some credentials. So he calls him rabbi, which is just another, another word for teacher. And he says, we know, 
In other words, we've been watching you. I don't know who the we is, but maybe it's other Jews, other Pharisees. We've been watching you here in Jerusalem. And we're impressed. Like, you've done some amazing things. And we, we think there, God has to be in this somewhere. You have a commission by God to do that. God, God's with you in some capacity. We're pretty impressed by all the things we've seen. If you thought of a thousand ways you might respond to someone saying that, my guess is it's going to be different from how Jesus responds. You'd think even the polite thing would be to go, well, thank you very much. I'm glad you've noticed. I do have a mission, and I am here for a very important reason. I'm glad you've taken stock of that. But notice Jesus doesn't do that. So it's as if Nicodemus is giving him this great compliment. We all know we've, we've seen some things about you, Jesus. And Jesus does not even acknowledge. He, doesn't, he like skips the pleasantries on all that and immediately goes to what he wants to talk about. I'm not sure Nicodemus woke up that morning thinking this was going to be the path of conversation. And yet Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the compliment and goes straight towards something very, very important. And that is, what is going on with you spiritually? As a matter of fact, Jesus introduces spiritual requirements. I think it's so critical we see this. So Jesus could have cashed in on his, like, 15 minutes of fame of everybody enjoying him and kind of just trying to ride that wave. Instead, he goes one-to-one with this man and introduces a spiritual requirement. So Nicodemus, you're interested in spiritual things. Let me, let me tell you what is essential. And he introduces a couple spiritual requirements in John chapter 3, that if you're going to be right with God, if you're going to be where you need to be spiritually, you need to follow these requirements. And the first requirement we're going to look at this week and the next one we're going to look at next week The first one is this. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. And several verses, Jesus is going to unpack this. Verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Two very, very important things. Kingdom of God and being born again. The kingdom of God and being born again. And again, I'm not sure that Nicodemus woke up asking the question of what is the kingdom of God and how am I going to be born again? But that is exactly where Jesus took him. And I believe that's where Jesus wants to take us this morning. So when you hear kingdom of God, it, it certainly seems like a word that you would find in the Bible. But what exactly does it mean? A good starting point is to realize that God wants us. God made us to want to live for something bigger. So when we hear kingdom of God, let's start with the fact that God made us to want to live for something bigger, bigger than all that we can see on this earth, bigger than just this lifetime that he's given us. We want our lives to matter more than that. We want our lives to count for more than that. We want our lives to affect things, not just what we see, but something beyond that. We, we, we are naturally wired to realize there's something bigger than just my existence. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, I think he's pointing us to exactly what we long for and what we're wired for. And that is a place where God rules, where God is completely in charge, where God's will is always done and everything is perfect. 
And Jesus starts this conversation with Nicodemus. As he enters the conversation, he says, if you want this place where everything is perfect, where God's will is done, the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into that, it's not going to happen unless you're born again. Another way that kind of a, a, a corresponding way that Jesus is going to talk with kingdom of God is he'll also talk about life and particularly even eternal life. This isn't just about, like Jesus is not merely talking about going to heaven when we die and getting some sort of insurance policy so we can go to heaven when we die. What Jesus is talking about, you're not going to enter into life as it really was meant to be lived. You're not going to enjoy abundant life, eternal life. You're not going to enjoy all of that unless you're born again. So now we begin to ask kind of questions like, okay, so to be rightly related to God, for that to happen, I need to be born again. What does it mean? What does it mean to be born again? I think there's a lot of different opinions from people that are Christian, from people that may not even necessarily claim to be a committed Christian. I was listening to uh, a college basketball coach being interviewed a few weeks back, and he was wanting to draw a comparison with like someone who acted really differently and acted kind of even even in, in a, a strange way in their morals and how, like, how by the book they were. And he referred to them as, you know, they're the kind of born-again Christian type. And I thought, it, I'm glad he sees that there's a difference. And at the same time, I wonder, does he even know what Jesus meant when he uses this terminology, being born again? And my question is, do you know? Do you know what Jesus meant when he uses this terminology, when he says everyone has to have this experience of being born again. It's interesting, that word. So we have the word born, but, but the word again is translated different ways because it's one of those words, and John actually uses several of these in his gospel that could be taken two different ways. It could have two different meanings. So the original word could be born again, born anew, born afresh, It also could be equally, in a valid translation, be born from above. Same word indicates the same concepts. Born anew, born again, and born from above. And so then you ask, well, which is it? And this is what I believe. I believe Jesus is using that word because both things are relevant. Both concepts matter. Both get to some of the things we like to pride ourselves on as human beings. So I think if any, anybody has any self-awareness about them, if we're human, spiritually, we know we could always do better. We know we haven't arrived yet. We know if we thought hard enough, probably sometime in the last two or three weeks I've sinned. Probably. I've had some action, some thought that hasn't been right. So again, if we have any sort of awareness of that, It's natural for us to think, okay, I'm not everything I should be, and so consequently, I need to make some improvements. So we kind of want to hear Jesus encourage us in that and say, what you need to do is you need to make some improvements. You're not okay where you are. You need to improve your life. That's what we want to hear. That's what we expect, like Jesus, to to encourage us in, like, "You're, you're not that bad, but you could do better. I promise you, you could do better. I've read and I've listened 
especially, I guess, with the new year, to some authors that they talk about like some strategies and how to get better and better. And one author says, like, if you just got 1% better each week, if you just got 1% better, what would that mean over the course of a a year or two or five years? Or, Or another author is going to tell you, you know what, you need to wake up every day and try to be the best version of yourself. What I, what I think happens is, as helpful as that might be for us in some ways, we begin to take those concepts of improving ourselves, and we begin to import those into our lives spiritually. So we think, oh, okay, what I need to do, if I'm going to be rightly related to God, is I need to make some improvements. I need to get, like, maybe 1% better spiritually. And maybe after a while, you can see, like, I will be where I need to be spiritually. So... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard not to, not to drink so much. And I'm going to work hard uh, not to gossip about people, not to tell people. I'm going I'm to do better. I'm going to do 1% better this year than I did last year at that. And I'm going to try hard not to be envious. I look around and see other people have this. I'm going to work hard not to be greedy and covetous of them and envious. And I'm going I'm to work harder on not losing my temper. I'm going to get better. I'm going to make some improvements. I'm going to try not to swear. You know, it just came out, but I'm going, to, I'm going to work hard not to do those kinds of things. I'm going to improve myself spiritually. I'm going to focus myself. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to read the Bible a little bit more. I'm going to listen to some Christian radio. I'm going to try to you know, stay positive. I'm going to love myself a little bit more this year than I did last year. And maybe at the end of the day, maybe I'll make some improvements. And Jesus would, I think, frankly, but pretty sternly say, you are missing it entirely. I did not come and tell you that you needed to make improvements. I told you, you must be born again. You need to be made entirely new, a complete new start. You can envision uh, a company. Maybe this will help us understand it. The, the, the minimal step we want to make and the drastic, the drastic thing Jesus is calling us to, to be born again. So imagine with me uh, a company that's losing tons of money each month and they're barely hanging on by a thread and they've hired a consultant to help them like even survive because they, they know that they may not make it. And so they bring in a consultant and the consultant tells them, you've got to make major changes and I want to talk with you, maybe consider in some areas point out some areas where like drastic changes could be made for your survival. You've got to think about this. You've got to, you've got to go big. It's got to be important. And I'll come back on my next visit. We're going to kind of dissect those big changes that you think are, are within the horizon to make so that we can, we can survive as a company. And imagine that consultant comes back and the leadership team has gathered and they said, we've talked about it. We kind of went back and forth on some things. We've got some big, big changes we're ready to make. We've decided instead of buying name brand post-its, we're going to buy off-brand post-it notes. We're going to make a difference here. And we also thought, like, we buy name brand K-cups, we're going to stop doing that. Only off-brand from now on. And there was a a request for a couple more trash cans in the office. We're not going to buy those. And you can imagine the consultant's not impressed. You're not impressed. No one's impressed by that because you would recognize, like, you, you don't get it, do you? You don't get it. You're not going to even have a company if there isn't something drastic. And I, I often wonder if spiritually 
if God in his kindness were to tell me, Curtis, you don't get it. You think you can make these minor improvements. You think you can make an adjustment here. Kind of, kind of make a little improvement here. But what I am calling every human being to is a total transformation, to be made entirely new. Jesus tells him and everyone else who's listening that the most radical change imaginable has to happen, a new birth. And that is the only way anyone ever sees the kingdom of God. It's, it's, I think Nicodemus gets this partially and not completely, because, partially because he says, how's all that work? How can a man be born when he's old? I don't think, I don't think he's asking a biology question here. I think he's going, help me understand this. Help me process this. How, how can he enter into his mother's womb and be born? Like, we don't, we don't get second chances like that. How does that happen? And Jesus then goes after not only our human desire to, like, make small improvements, but we also wouldn't mind hearing Jesus say, you're really going to have to apply your own efforts to making a change here. We kind of want to stand on that, don't we? We want to, if Jesus is going to tell us that everything's not okay spiritually, and we're going to acknowledge that, we, we want to hear him say, okay, you've got to do a, a whole new start. Well, well, what about my own efforts? What about our own efforts? We tell Jesus, okay, you tell me what to do. You tell me what to do, and I will work hard. I'll hustle. I'll grind it out. I can do this. You tell me I need to come a complete restart, like a, a new birth. I need to be a new person. Okay, I'm in. I can do this. And when Jesus says, you need to be born from above, what Jesus is saying, if you think by your own efforts, you can make this change, you're mistaken. It's not by our own efforts it comes actually from outside of us, from above, not from within, not from everything I would draw on internally, not even from reaching out to God. Something else above us has to take over. And he uses this analogy of birth, which is, which is a powerful, powerful analogy because it, it reminds us that that is like the only thing we have no effect on. Our will does not make any difference on this. And that is exactly where Jesus goes and says, this is going to be from above. God is going to have to do this. And Nicodemus is asking questions like, how does all this work if it isn't about making some improvements? If it isn't about just my own efforts, then where does this new birth come from? How does this happen? In verse 5, Jesus says, you have to be born of water and of the Spirit. Again, there's a, a difference of opinion on exactly what those two words together, why Jesus uses those two things. There are a couple different reference points in the Bible. So you could go back to Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37, where this idea of God's Spirit coming to a person in like a new way and a fresh way, also brought cleansing like water would bring. 
And so you can see how this could certainly be in, in the mind of Jesus as he's saying, you have to be born of, of the Holy Spirit and of cleansing water that would, would totally make you new. I also even think back in a couple chapters earlier in the book of John, the picture of John baptizing with water and people being renewed in their spiritual life. Since they, they came and they were repenting and they received forgiveness, remission of sins. This was kind of the first steps of them walking as a disciple of John. And then those disciples became, uh, many became disciples of Jesus. And even Jesus would connect discipleship with following and making it public through baptism. I do wonder if all these kind of concepts of cleansing and renewal and the Holy Spirit and water and how that works is telling us of something important. And that is when something happens on the inside, the work of the Spirit on the inside, something that you cannot do on your own, when God does that work of renewing and forgiving and making you new, and then you go public with that in baptism, you say, this is what's happened inside. I wonder if these are the kinds of things that all come together in Jesus saying, by water and by the Spirit, and who can do this? Who can, who can give you this rebirth? And Jesus says, it's only the power of God that can remake a person like that. One level, that just like devastates our pride. It tells all of us in the room. If Nicodemus thought he was a, a very like, important person in religious terms, Jesus just kind of decimates all that pride that he has that we might have. But also, as you think, this is one thing that encourages us. Is that if I am in Christ, it's not. It's not because I worked my hardest to get there. And because it's a work of God to put me in Christ, then I am kept also by the power of God. God is still at work as well, keeping me in Christ. This is from start to finish. It is God's work. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born from above. And he even explains it further. He says there there are limitations of the flesh. So he says in verse 6 that that which is born of flesh... Let's get our categories correct here. That which is born of flesh is flesh. So humanity and all its limitations, that's exactly what's going to bring more humanity into this world. But he said that which is born of spirit actually is something that brings about the family of God, brings you into the family of God. I love the way one writer, Leon Morris, said, he says, there is no evolution from flesh to spirit. It's not like that. You have to be born again. There's even more directness and urgency in verse 7. He says, Nicodemus, don't be surprised. Don't marvel that I'm saying to you. And here's the word again. You must, you must be born again. And that you there, you must be born again is plural. Like everyone, all of us. So I, I think it's helpful for us to recognize as Christians, this isn't just about us, we kind of, we found this thing with Jesus that's working for us. And other people have their own things that work for them. And there are other religions and different ideas and just kind of whatever works for you. That's, that's exactly what Jesus is not saying. He's telling us for all of humanity, 
There isn't like a, just a special situation where Jesus might be a good fit for you. Saying, all of us, this is reality. This is how the world works. Every child, every teenager, every student, every adult, you must be born again. So we hear the words of Jesus, and again, we might still even struggle with, okay, exactly what does being born again mean? So often when I hear people even use the language, it's, they're even talking about like this dramatic conversion experience. That's kind of what it, it's like. You know, if you're born again, then you've had this dramatic conversion experience, maybe, maybe as an adult or, or a, a late teenager, and you're, you're, you kind of really, really come to grips with things after a, a reckless life. And, but Jesus never mentions like this dramatic conversion here. As a matter of fact, I know many Christians who don't have that dramatic like turn of events in their life, but what they still have is a dramatic work of God in their life, maybe even as a child, where they knew something is different on the inside. I have desires for the Lord that I would not have if it were just the way things are. So Jesus doesn't say you must have this dramatic experience, but what he does say is every person who's going to be rightly related to God has to be born anew, born from above, has to have God do something for you that you could never do on your own. At the same time, I do wonder, maybe those who gather in church regularly are the most susceptible to not really processing everything about the new birth. I grew up going to Christian schools and Christian colleges. Sometimes I think it's easy in those environments to think, well, I guess being a Christian is just, I guess I just, I just am because I am. It's like I, I've, I've always grown up in church. I went to catechism class. My parents were Christians. My grandparents, I, I guess it's just, I guess that's just what I am too. And if that's you, and you, you begin to like ask some questions of, is, is there more to it? Is there more than just being a part of a youth group? in part of a church, here in the Bible, knowing a few stories. If you're asking those questions, I think they're the most important questions you could ask. In verse 8, Jesus says, the wind is just blowing wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from and where it goes. And this is the way it's going to be when you're born of the Spirit. The wind you you can't like really pinpoint exactly where it is, but you see the effects of it. Like it's hard to, hard to grasp, it's hard to analyze, but you just see the effects of it. In the same way, being born again, there's not some spiritual vending machine where you, you put in these coins and oh, you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says that, that's not the way it is. No one's going to be manipulated into having the new birth. It's not the way the Holy Spirit works. Nicodemus, at the end of this, is asking some questions, and I think they're, they're serious questions. 
He says, how can all this be? And, and he's, he's stuck. Like, how is this humanly possible? And actually what Jesus will continue to press, and we'll talk about this more next week, what he'll continue to press is, yeah, if you're only thinking in human capabilities and human competencies, then you're going to hit a dead end when it comes to this conversation. Because with God, there are all, all things are possible. And maybe you're still stuck with, like, I hear you talking and I'm interested. I just don't know how it's possible. How's it possible for me to get like a complete new start? How's it possible for God to do a work in my life? We've been given some spiritual insight into requirements. You must be born again. And what I want us to feel is I would imagine the urgency that Nicodemus felt. I don't think he walked away from this encounter with Jesus saying, thanks for giving me a good option there. I think he felt the press. I hope we feel it as well. The last thing we want to do is walk away. We we, we want to ask, like, have I experienced what Jesus is talking about here? And if not, what do I need to do next? Who do I need to talk to? Is there a friend? Is there there a pastor? Is there someone here that I could talk with even before I leave? I I don't have all my questions answered. I'm still trying to process what it means. What, What do I need for this to happen in my life? I feel like God's opening my eyes, but... I need to know more. I would love, I would love for you to talk to someone more about that. The answer is wrapped up in how we see Jesus. Whether or not we're depending on him. Whether we're putting our life into his hands. This morning, a lot of us in this room, I would imagine a lot of us are in different places spiritually. Some of you may know exactly what Jesus is talking about. And I praise God. But there may be those, I would, I would guess there has to be those that are not sure or would just come out and frankly say, I, I've not experienced this kind of transformation, but I'm interested. I want to pray for you. And what I'm going to pray is that the Lord will like, move you to talk to someone about that. Yeah, to cry out to the Lord and to talk to someone else about that. So can I pray for us today? Thank you, Lord. I believe we've heard from you. I pray that your word would be loud in our ears today. And Father, give us grace to respond in faith and obedience. I pray for the person that has a lot of questions, that you would bring across their path a a person willing to hang in there and talk with them, and answer questions as best they can. Lord, I pray, I pray that this year, even this week, maybe even today, that you would bring people to life. A new birth might happen. Do that, and I pray that you'd use us and use our church in that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.